And we're back. Damn. That was too long. It's been forever. <laughs> Literally. Forever. Do you like the Sandlot? Are you a fan of the Sandlot? Yeah. Yeah. Forever. I suspect there's something wrong with the person who isn't a fan of the Sandlot. Yeah, who doesn't like it? I mean, it? who... Come on. Yeah, if you don't like the Sandlot... You're a deplorable I don't human. get it. Yeah, you're just... Definitely something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you, the, somehow your wiring is not right. <laughs> should probably see a shrink about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, if you can watch the, the, especially the scenes where they're like trying to figure out how to get the ball. <laughs> the erectors. Come on, man. <laughs> if you don't just enjoy that, when that thing comes flying back over the... Uh. And that, that that kid, that scene where he's like, I think I miscalculated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some of the grace. Oh, and, and, and the uh, lifeguard. Oh, Wendy Peppercorn? Mm. Wendy Peppercorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say it like that. Wendy, Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> we just oh, lost God. half our <laughs> We really did. <laughs> I think I just lost myself a little bit. Not okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Hi, Todd. How's it going? Good. Yeah? Yep. Uh, I got a question for you today. Let's see if you can help me out. I'd I'd be glad to try. So I want to briefly introduce you to two clients that I have have had um client a is came to me because they're depressed wanted to work on their depression um and really specifically what they wanted was coping skills those are their words they want to feel they want to feel less sad all the time and feel more energetic those were the, kind of their two goals okay um and they were kind of coming in and i got the sense they wanted some kind of basically quick tips to sort of be feeling better. Mm. Um, you, you tell me some skills to make yeah. me feel better. And okay. then, then I'll be able to, you know, employ those tools and I'll feel better. Seems right? to make sense. Yep. And oftentimes a somewhat more sophisticated version of this is basically what does work for a lot of kinds of depression. Um, there are some things starting to pay attention to kind of your self-talk, how you're talking to yourself and maybe not beating yourself up so much. Mm-hmm. Rumination, big cause of depression. Um, and then what we call behavioral activation, which is, making a plan to sort of engage in a lot of the stuff that, um, that really fills up your tank. That's enjoyable. That's meaningful. That's rewarding mm-hmm. that you've kind of given up on. Right. But what I found going on with this guy was, um, turns out there were some bigger issues at play that were maybe contributing to his depression. Um, it wasn't just that he was kind of hard on himself in his own head. And it wasn't just that he was sort of isolating a little bit and, um, not doing a lot of the same things that he used to be doing. Um, but he was in and had been in a job and a career that turns out he really hated. He liked mm-hmm. the idea of it. He was an attorney um, mm-hmm. at a big kind of corporate, prestigious corporate job. And there were a lot of perks that went along with it, prestige, money, um, and the fact that his whole family had all been attorneys mm-hmm. and he was sort of fulfilling the kind of family line. But when it really got down to it, it was pretty clear this guy hated being an attorney. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that the fact that his, not just his behaviors, but his whole life was really misaligned 
with what he actually wanted, it became pretty clear pretty quick that that's what was the major contributor to his depression. Mm. And so therefore, these any kind of like relatively quick fixes we could apply weren't going to do much in the face of in the face of that big discrepancy in his life. Right. Um, so you, like the, the symptoms he was feeling were more a result of that than just kind of the malaise he was kind of coming in to help to get tips Exactly, for. right. So yeah. these treating the symptoms was, we could do that, we could put some Band-Aids on, but there was this underlying mm. issue that was, even if you put a Band-Aid temporarily on the symptoms, they were going to keep flaring up because right. this underlying issue was not getting addressed. Or the Band-Aid wouldn't have stopped yeah. that. right. Problem. There was internal bleeding and the Band-Aid wasn't really addressing anything. So that's, and that's a common thing in therapy, right? I mm-hmm. think that we both I think um, so. see. But there's another, I have another client who provides an interesting contrast, which is they came in to see me because they were having panic attacks, regular mm-hmm. panic attacks, really bad, severe panic attacks. And when I kind of got a sense for this person and his life, it turned out the first panic attack happened when he was 20 something. He was at the gym and he was running on the treadmill and he had this like, heart flutter you know like we all have these things where your heart kind of skips a beat or it flutters or does something kind of weird Mm -hmm. and he he catastrophized it essentially and worked himself up into a full-blown panic attack yeah yeah and then what happened is he started avoiding exercises he got his heart checked out and there was nothing physiologically wrong with his heart um but he he started developing more and more panic attacks because he was convinced that if he worked out his heart too hard, he, he something bad was going to happen. Right. Right. So he started to become really anxious about anything that would lead to potential heart problems. Right. And so he was getting all sorts of panic attacks. Now he came into me and he was convinced that he, there was deeper issues going on. Those were his words. Um, some kind of, he didn't remember anything, but he had been told maybe there was a trauma in your life when you were young that was causing uh-huh. these panic attacks or gotcha. they really you're dissatisfied in your relationship or something like that. Multiple people had told them there's probably, you know, deeper underlying issues mm-hmm. here that you mm-hmm. should look into. Mm-hmm. And it became fairly clear fairly quickly. This guy had no real issues going on. He had a really largely good upbringing. Um, no major, major issues as a kid. Not previously has got, had a good relationship. His, um, he really enjoyed his career. What happened though was he he worked himself into panic disorder and the solution to it actually didn't involve any quote unquote deeper issues. It just involved looking at what are the things you're doing right now that are exacerbating your anxiety and how can we stop those? Right. But right? There, there often is this kind of interest in finding deep rooted underlying issues. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a super long introduction, um, but it gets at a really... I think interesting dilemma in our field where how do you tell the difference? Cause sometimes there are deeper or more kind of subtle causes Mm -hmm. for more superficial symptoms. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the symptom like my guy avoiding going to the gym, that was the whole problem that was perpetuating his panic. He wasn't traumatized Mm -hmm. as a kid. Like his relationships were great. He did, you know, there was no quote unquote deeper issue. So in a way treating the symptom treated the whole thing. Right. And that happened. He, he totally worked through it in a few months and in four plus years, I haven't heard from him. So yeah. <laughs> I assume yeah. things are going well. So it's, it, have you run into this, this dilemma of kind of the, the distinction between symptoms and underlying issues? And how do you think about that? No, I, I think in a very similar way, I mean, like 
the way I think about panic disorder fits your kind of description. It, it usually is kind of this anxiety that sets up around some physiological cue or something that you get kind of anxious mm-hmm. around. Um, and, and so usually kind of our, the traditional thing is to kind of treat that cue and, and, and become used to it or, or kind of tolerate it. Um, but yeah, yeah, some people, I, or some clients a lot of the time want to talk about deep underlying issues because I think it's a kind of a sexy way to think about psychological problems. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's more appealing if it's, mysterious and complex a little convoluted yeah and and um well and i think that's just the the pop culture kind of push around a lot of problems is that there must be deep underlying issues that are causing mm-hmm. problems not just simply the behaviors that are maintaining and causing problems yeah you know? deep um, deep meaning either way back in your past or kind of unconscious stuff you're not aware of either right? or either mm-hmm. or and, and i agree with you i think uh, a lot of the times there there can be those things yeah definitely um but to assume right off the bat that that's that's the case mm-hmm. i think that's what therapy's for is kind of discovering where those problems are originating what the actual yeah. wound so to speak that you're treating mm-hmm. is um but it's i don't think it's necessarily to to really kind of assume right away that there's a deep problem and then right. go find it. Mm-hmm. But, but the the other side of the pendulum is equally dangerous, right? When you you oh, yeah. you assume there's a quick fix for something. It's just it's it's just a it's just a cut. I just need to I just need a, a good coping tool mm-hmm. and and then I'll be kind of on my way. Right. 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 And avoiding looking at some kind of deeper levels or more complex um, yeah. stuff going on. Or, or just ignoring where those issues are originating, right? Like you're mm-hmm. the first client. Like, yeah, you could have given him a lot of coping skills that might maybe feel him, help him feel better in a moment. But overall, if he's that unhappy with what he's yeah. doing for the majority of his day, right. how long is that guy going to feel relief from those Mm-mm. coping skills that you teach right. him? Not very long. Yeah, And there's another um, dilemma I see a lot in therapy is... I think a lot of us have this tendency to think if there's a problem, it's something in me. And if I just have the right tool, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, taking responsibility for yourself is, you know, largely a pretty good thing. But when taken to the extreme, I think it can cause us to ignore more environmental or structural factors in, in our life, in our experience, in our emotions, in our happiness, um, and suffering. So for this guy, like it like turns out like his job was really a major contributor to his unhappiness. Now he had a hard time seeing that cause he had so much wrapped up in his job, but ultimately it wasn't anything he was doing on a micro level yeah. that he was contributing to it. it was that he had put himself in this context that was really um, at odds with his his actual kind of values and what was important to him. Well, and I'm just thinking the fortitude it would take to actually travel the path to become an attorney when you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time you get there, you, you're probably not even considering that as the problem. I mean, you've worked so hard to get there. Yeah. But that's the last thing you're going to suspect is causing your issue. You know, you, you kind of... And in so much of higher education, it's it's such a slog, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you have to get good at kind of putting blinders on mm-hmm. and just putting mm-hmm. one foot in front of the other. Putting and, your head down and just going. Yeah, yeah. just grind away. Yeah, it really um, is. That can be a real... I mean, a lot of times that that's what you need to do and that, that to some extent we do need to do that. But 
yeah, you can end up missing some pretty big red flags Yeah, if you're too good at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it occurs to me, we had an episode not too long ago where we talked about um, kind of creating a hypothesis about what's going on in your life, testing it, and then revamping that hypothesis. I can't remember. Mm. Oh, it was like, we, we used the example of someone going to the gym and saying like, well, maybe I need to go on the morning. And then oh, yeah. if they're not able to go in the morning, they, they shouldn't just quit altogether. They should say, right. hmm, that's kind of hard for me. Maybe the early mm-hmm. afternoon's better. And experiment. So again, to encourage that kind of approach, like, look, if you think something's a problem, try. If, if the problem persists, that's probably not it, mm-hmm. right? Keep looking for another another issue. So Yeah, and that's, you know, one of the big hangups for my, for my attorney was he, like, giving up this profession, like mm-hmm. being an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually, good. I learned a lot in this working with this guy too, because my initial superficial assumption was that his, his deeper problem was being an attorney. But what it turned out was it wasn't exactly being an attorney that was the problem. It was the type of law and the type of environment that mm-hmm. he was working in that was the problem. So my guy ended up staying an attorney but he drastically changed the type of law he did mm-hmm. and the, the context in which he practiced. He ended up leaving the, the um, corporation he was working for and kind of setting up his own shop, doing more of a kind of consulting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. legal work. Yeah. Which turned out he loved. It was not in his pedigree. It's not what people in his family had done. Um, but it, was, it, was, it turned out he really did enjoy law in a very different context. Right. Um, and so that was like a really good lesson to me too, is that it doesn't mean you have to make some like a 180 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. change. Like sometimes a 45 degree pivot is good enough. Maybe what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, good for him that he was able to yeah. kind of figure that out. I mean, the option is the depression just gets worse and worse because over the years, you know, of, of tolerating that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, um, frustration with your job, that is not going to be good. No. And then even, I mean, I have a lot of people who are sort of in similar positions, but have retired. Mm-hmm. And so now they're, they're not in that job anymore, but they have this crushing regret. Basically they, they realize after the fact that like, man, I could have been doing, I, I, I slogged this out for mm. decades. Right. When I, mm-hmm. and that, that is hard to hear. Mm. Like that is just. It doesn't mean they can't, you know, change things going forward and do things differently. But when you put like, it's still, there's, it's tragic. Like there's a yeah. lot of sunken costs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, I, th- I just think that's such a, such an important lesson, especially for, I think people who, um, who are very like ambitious and motivated and hardworking and all the, and have a strong sense of personal responsibility. All these things are really, that are largely good things. To just kind of be careful, you know, anything pushed to an extreme mm-hmm. can become dangerous. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Any any kind of behavior pushed to an extreme is yeah. probably not going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you tell clients when they come to you and say, hey, I'm struggling with, you know, these panic attacks. Mm-hmm. I think I've got some really deep, you know, childhood trauma that I need to deal with and that's why it's surfacing. How mm-hmm. do you kind of... Because you don't want to shake them off of that theory entirely, <laughs> but you do want to kind of introduce other ways of thinking about this to them that might be a little bit more functional. Yeah. Yeah, I, tr- I try to be more what we would call Socratic with it, right? So to, to kind of start, actually start from their assumptions, say, oh, okay, that's, that's an interesting theory. Um, like, tell me more about that. Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Or um, what makes you think that's 
true or that's not literally what I would say, but I try and just get them to elaborate on that theory. And often these theories people have are not super well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. Someone told them like maybe you were traumatized as a kid and that's Mm -hmm. why you're having panic attacks. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the extent to which they've really thought about it. Right. They haven't really thought through the details of how likely is it that you had a trauma and don't remember it at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no one else has said anything, and like and none of your family seem to know. Ostensibly, that's possible, but is it likely or probable? Mm-hmm. You know, like so. Some, even something as simple as that, thinking through more of it, and often when you kind of help people just explore that theory they have, they start to notice, like, oh yeah, maybe this isn't that doesn't as rock solid as I, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe there's different ways to look at this. Mm-hmm. So I think ideally, that's that's the way I would go about it because you're right you don't want to just say oh that's nonsense just because you're having panic attacks doesn't mean you were traumatized right even if that's what's going through my mind <laughs> yeah um no because you want them to kind of come to that realization on their own sure i think what do you what do you do i, I think the same I, I think you definitely want to acknowledge those but I, i've had a lot of clients who something has happened in their childhood say there was some molestation by an older brother or something mm-hmm. like that um and that becomes kind of the the headwaters of every issue, you know, in their life is basically um, some kind of uh, downstream occurrence that has happened because of that. Of that one thing. Yeah. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's also difficult because um, if that explanation or if that theory holds, then everything's kind of... Um, caused by this thing that they no longer have any kind of say over. Right. Um, and so it's very disempowering sometimes for people to believe mm-hmm. those things. So, um, but you do want to validate the, the impact that had on them sure. definitely, but it, it can be kind of a delicate process if somebody is wed to a theory, mm-hmm. um, like that sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I think the, our, my biggest job in therapy is helping people think more clearly about cause and effect. Mm-hmm. In, in difficult aspects of their life. Like what's really causing what here? Like what's an effect and what's a cause? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, what are the patterns? Um, Cause I think especially when you're, when you're really distressed and you're a normal busy person and it, it's hard to step back and really s- think through these things on, in kind of a, a, a specific, um, de- in a specific detailed way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of, what what I do is is pattern recognition. You know, yeah, helping, you've said that before. Helping yeah. my clients kind of recognize patterns uh-huh. too. Um, just the other day, I had a, I was talking to a client who w- was in a situation where um, a social support, you know, a friend of theirs, basically, um, kind of bailed on them at a really kind of crucial moment hmm. in their life. You know, um, it, it only happened once, but they had kind of rekindled that relationship, and they were inches from kind of another situation where that behavior might have happened again, right? Oh. And I kind of pointed that out to my client that, hey, we kind of want to be aware of this. And it, it was a little, I think they took took it the wrong way that I was making a prediction where I was just saying, hey, we want to be open to the fact that this, or to the idea that this might be a pattern, mm-hmm. you know, for your friend. Oh. And so as we head up to this moment, be open to the idea that, you know, this could happen. Right. I'm not saying it will, but you know, but it was almost a really foreign thought to kind of have someone open the idea to the possibility of a pattern mm-hmm. starting, you know? And I thought, Oh, that's kind of odd. I think we all should be a little bit more 
um, or we all should look a little bit more closely at behaviors as in, in patterns because mm-hmm. pattern behavior is problematic behavior sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And often easier to see in other people. Oh, definitely. Right. Definitely. <laughs> but super. So there's this weird thing where you yeah. might be really good at seeing patterns in, in for everybody your else. spouse's yeah. life or your mom's life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, re- it, it takes a lot of work. Um, I when think you're, to be you're definitely to, right. When you have that space, it's easier to see a pattern than when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but that's why you go to therapy. <laughs> right. So somebody who can see the pattern. Can let you know. Yeah. And, and who, well, but that, I think that's the thing. It's not just someone who can, because you could go to your best friend or you go to your, your dad or whatever, and they may well be able to see the pattern. But mm-hmm. often the, the really critical thing is it's not do they see it and tell you here's the pattern. Because mm-hmm. I think people have that all the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody's telling everyone what to do. Yeah. And maybe a lot of times they're right. But if for someone to really change and, and really see the pattern themselves, not just be told it, they have to come to it. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the, the real art, I think and it's not just exclusive to therapists. I think, I think sometimes good friends and, and other people can do this too. Sure. But helping someone to come to see something, a pattern for themselves. I think that's the real art. The crux that's of, the hard yeah. thing yeah. to do. I think you're right. Um, but yeah, it's easy enough to point. It's harder to get someone really oriented to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's a good way of looking at it. You can point to it, but to get them oriented to yeah. it. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.